Good morning and welcome to each one of you. This past week as I was studying, I was reminded of a, of a short little quote from uh, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. And unfortunately, I can't remember the exact setting that this was said in. I didn't have time to go back and look it up, but it's a conversation between Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. And one of them says to the other, is you afeard? And he said, no, I ain't afeard. <clears throat> Boys often don't like to admit they have fear. Micah and I like to chew those lines when uh, we have a tradition of a Sunday, we have a Sunday afternoon tackle. <laughs> and when Micah and I are wrestling around, uh, one of us will ask the other, is you afeard? <laughs> the answer is usually no, we're not. Pretty sure we can handle it. <clears throat> Are there things that cause fear for you? There are for me. And I expect that there are for each of us. Fear is a normal part of our human experience in this fallen world. I was recently reading in uh, Judges, and I was, I was struck with God's response to Gideon's fear. And I'd like to, to look at um, Judges chapters 6 and 7 this morning. Briefly, a brief uh, background, the, the book of Judges covers about 350 years. There's a 350-year span there in the history of Israel, and it's a very dark period in the history of Israel. Um, <clears throat> it is described several times in the Bible as a time when every man did what was right in his own eyes. It was a period marked by lawlessness idol worship, and immorality. God's people were in this cycle where they would disobey God and worship the idols of the nations around them instead of God, or sometimes try to do both. And God would then turn them over to their enemies, just as he had promised he would do if they did that. Then they would cry out to God for help. He would send a judge to deliver them from their enemies. And soon they would start the process over and start forget what God had done and start drifting away and worshiping the idols of the nations around them again. During the period of the book of Judges, there were 13 judges. The Bible only goes into detail on eight of those judges. It mentions the others. And Gideon was the fifth of those judges. <clears throat> I want to look briefly at part of Gideon's life this morning. I'm uh, starting in Judges chapter 6. I'll read the first 10 verses. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, that the Midianites would come up. Also the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel. 
neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So because of the Israelites turning away from God, God allowed their enemies to dominate them. And they would come in, each year they would come from the east across Jordan, and they would, they would cross the Jordan River, coming from the eastern side of the country, and they went as far as Gaza. That's on the western side. That's by the Mediterranean Sea. They went all the way across, and they would camp and just... They bring their livestock. The livestock are feeding on, grazing on the crops. They're harvesting what they want. They're stealing the animals. They send out raiding bands. It's, and these, this is a desperate situation. It's so desperate, they're living in caves like animals. And they're hiding from their enemies within their own country. Can you imagine what it's like? Most of us are not farming. <laughs> But, you know, picture if Jerry's got fields around us here, and if Jerry Byler was hiding out because people were moving in and, and taking his crops, as soon as they're about ready, they'd come in and get it. And he's under the bridge up here at, at Walnut Branch, husking corn under the bridge. That's kind of what's, what happens here. <clears throat> I'd like to note the... Uh, the next verse, I got ahead of myself just a bit. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the Terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Wheat is normally threshed on the top of a hill, so the wind will carry the chaff away. The wind is helping you, you're... you're threshing this, and the, the chaff's carried off, and you're left with the good wheat. But here's Gideon down in a wine press. A wine press is down the lowlands. It's a, it's a hollowed out, it's a hollow cut out of a rock, and he's down in there so he won't be seen threshing wheat. The wind isn't helping him carry any dust away. He's down there eating it. The man's hiding because he's desperate trying to survive, trying to get enough wheat to feed his family. You don't get a lot threshing in a, in a wine press. <clears throat> I'd like to go on and notice what happens in verses 12 to 24. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. 
Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and has delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If I have now found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot. And he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread, and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. You will not die. Do not fear, you will not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it is still an Ophrah of the Abizarites. I'm going to pause there. <clears throat> Notice in verse 12, the angel of the Lord addresses him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Was Gideon... A mighty man of valor. Does, does this story lead you to believe that he was a, a mighty man of valor? If he's hiding in a low hidden place in a hole uh, threshing wheat? You know, Gideon was possibly a mighty warrior. I don't know. Was he, uh, was he doing hit and run attacks on the Midianites? I don't know. Maybe he's addressed as a mighty man of valor because he wasn't bowing in worship to Baal. While his father, we'll see, is. Or maybe God addressed Gideon because he knew what he would be. God saw the potential and he knew what Gideon would be, a mighty man of valor. I don't know which it is, but I'd, I'd like to suggest it could be all three of those. Because <clears throat> God knew. find it interesting, too, that it, how Gideon addresses the angel of the Lord. The first time, in verse 13, he addresses him in the English. In the, with the New King James, it, it says, Oh, my Lord, and it's a lowercase l, which is... 
good because he, I'm, I'm told he uses the word, the word that he uses, Adan, is, is always used in speaking of a man. It's, it's kind of like us, uh, it's a term of respect, like us saying, addressing someone as sir, excuse me, sir. Um, that's kind of what the word that he uses is like. In 15, he changes. The English again translates it as Lord, but with a capital L, and then lowercase and the rest of the word, Adonai, which is used for God. Somewhere in, in verse 14, in between 13 and 15, there is a change in how he views this, the angel of the Lord who addressed him. And he's recognizing who he's dealing with. And he changes how he addresses him. I find it interesting that uh, notice what the angel of the Lord says to him. Actually, in, in 14, it says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. And at the end of the verse, have I not sent you? In verse 16, he says, I will be with you. That's his answer to Gideon's objections, to Gideon's fears. His answer to Gideon's fear is, I'm sending you, and I'm going with you. You're not on your own. I'll be present. It sounds a lot like Matthew 28, 18 to 20. You're familiar with that. The Great Commission. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. I'm sending you and I will be with you. You shall surely defeat the Midianites as one man. That's in verse 16. In 17, Gideon wants assurance. He says, show me, will you show me a sign that it really is you? That it is you, Lord, that I'm talking to? Because this is out I can't handle this on my own. You're asking me to do something that I can't do. So he asks for a sign. God graciously gives him that sign and waits while Gideon goes in and prepares an offering. And think about this offering. It's a very valuable offering. This, the Midianites have been coming in for seven years. Every year, for seven years they have come and stolen everything. This, is a, this country depends on their agriculture. And they've been taking the crops. They've been taking the animals. The nation is impoverished. And Gideon goes and prepares a young goat, unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. Let me put that in plain English. That's roughly a half bushel or 20 quarts. Ladies, how much bread can you make with 20 quarts of flour? <laughs> Quite a bit, I'm going to guess. I don't bake, but you can make a lot of bread with half a bushel. This is a sizable 
offering in a situation when there isn't much food to be had and people are living in caves and holes in the, in the ground. The angel of the Lord accepts the offering by touching it with the tip of his staff, and what happens? Fire comes out of the rock and consumes it. When Gideon perceives that he's the angel of the Lord, he expects to die because he has seen God. You know, I believe that the angel of the Lord, you can debate this with me afterwards if you like, but I, I, would, I believe the angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ. That he's actually seeing Jesus Christ pre-incarnate. I won't uh, make a, do a Bible study. Get uh, and, and notice where, wherever, the different places where the Bible talks about the angel of the Lord. And it's different from, for instance, where when Gabriel comes and says, I am Gabriel, I stand before God. Um, the angel of the Lord never says that. But I'm, I'm getting derailed here, so I'll just take a look at and do a study on the different places where the angel of the Lord, where you see that, where you find that in Scripture. So, in verse 24, Gideon builds an altar to the Lord and calls it, the Lord is peace, because the Lord said, peace be with you. You're not going to die. Gideon builds a, a personal altar to the Lord to remember this, and he worships, and the Interesting thing is the writer here says that it's, it's still there. At the time of the, the writing of the book of Judges, that altar was still there. Sometime later. I want to briefly summarize the next uh, seven verses. Judges chapter 6, 25 to 32 on that very night, the same night that uh, the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and then disappears when, when he accepts his offering, on that same night, God says to him to take his father's bull, and he points out a specific bull, the second bull, the one seven years old. Take that bull, tear down the altar of Baal, and cut down the wooden images um, <clears throat> I'm told the original says the, the grove of images. There's a number of wooden images, Ashereth, beside it. Tear those down, build a proper altar to God, the way we're told in Scripture how they built those, and to sacrifice the bull on that altar. Now, Gideon obeys, but this was a big job. I don't understand, I guess, how big these altars are, but this was a big, a serious job, and Gideon got ten servants to help him do this. And they, they destroy the altar of Baal, they build a, a new one, but they do it at night because Gideon's afraid. Gideon had good reason to be afraid because in the morning when they discover that the altar to Baal is gone, and there's an altar to God, and the bull has been sacrificed there. The remains of it are still, are still on the altar. 
and they come looking and they ask questions and apparently one of these 10 men ratted on Gideon. Somebody told who was responsible. And they show up at Gideon's father's house and demand that they bring out his son and that he should be put to death. Gideon met God and he was willing to risk his life to obey. This tells us something about how prevalent Baal worship was that his clan actually wanted to kill him because he messed up their altar to an idol. Notice Gideon's father's response in uh, in verses 30 to 33, I think it is, 32. But Joash, his father, basically says, if Baal is God, let him defend himself. If, if Baal is a God, he can take care of himself. He should, he should deal with my son, not you. Let Baal defend himself. And so they actually start calling Gideon Jerubbaal, or let let Baal plead against him. And told us probably it started out as, as a mocking name, but the longer that Gideon lived, nothing happened to him. They can see Baal's not even defending himself. Why would you pray to a god who can't even defend his altar? <clears throat> One thing I want to notice Gideon is when God wants to work through a person, he starts first in my heart. Before God uses me somewhere else, he starts working in my heart. When Gideon, when Gideon met God and he worshipped, then it changed his relationships with his family. It changed his relationship with his clan, his extended family. Later we'll see it affected his relationship with his whole tribe and eventually with the entire nation. But it starts in my heart. It starts with a personal relationship with God. We see what, what happens next in verse, verse 33. We're told the Midianites, the Amalekites, the people of the east gathered together and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew the trumpet and the Abizarites gathered around him. So Israel's enemies gathered together on the east side of Jordan. They crossed over in mass. They're at it again. This is the eighth time, the eighth year in a row that they're back. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, or literally it says the Spirit of the Lord clothed him or enveloped him. He blows the trumpet to call his clan together. The Abizarites respond. The interesting thing is these are the men who very short time before wanted to kill him because he tore down the altar. To Baal. 
when they saw him take a stand for what was right, they became willing to follow this man. He sends messengers through the tribes of Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they all, all these men gather. We'll see later there's 32,000 men respond. So after he's called these men together, notice what Gideon does next. His faith wavers. He doubts. He's scared. And he says, God, would you... Show me for sure this is what you want me to do. In verse 36, So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I'm going to put a fleece of wool. I'm going to put a piece of wool out here. And would you allow that to be wet, but the floor, the threshing floor around it to be dry? You know the story. God does it. And he comes back and says, God, please don't, be upset with me, but would you do it again? Only let's reverse this. And would you allow that, that fleece to be dry and everything around it is wet? And God does. God is patient with him. Now notice Gideon wasn't doing this. He wasn't asking God for a sign on if he should obey him or not. Gideon was already obeying God. Gideon had risked his life to do what God told him to do. But Gideon was afraid and he was asking for reassurance on God's direction. I believe there's a big difference between that and questioning whether I want to obey God. And so I ask God for a sign because I'm really looking not to obey. That's completely different than Gideon is in the, he's in motion, he's been obeying God and asked God for reassurance on the direction he's headed and that he will deliver him. And God gives it to him. God is so patient with his fears. <clears throat> we go into the next chapter and Gideon has all these men. They gather together. I'm going to very briefly uh, summarize Judges chapter 7, verses 2 through 7. And here, their armies together, and, and God says, you've got too many people. If I save you with this many people, 32,000, you're going to take credit for it. And you're not going to give me credit. This is too many. We're going, to, we're going to whittle down this army so it's clear where the victory is coming from. And he says, send home anyone who's afraid. Anyone who's afraid to fight. And 22,000 people leave. How do you think the 10,000 that are left feel? I'd be getting pretty nervous. Now we're down... 22,000 leave, we're down to 10,000, and God says, nope, still too many. We've got to whittle this down some more. And so I'm not going to read it all, but God, God has them go.
go down to the water at the spring of Herod and, and drink, and he, he, God splits them, has, has Gideon separate the ones who scoop up water with their hands and drink and the ones who kneel down and drink straight from the, the water with their mouth, and has them separate them into two groups and said, the ones that drank directly from the water, you can send them home. That leaves him with 300. Originally, actually, let me just step in and read uh, Judges 7, 7 to 15. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you, and deliver the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and he sent away all the rest of Israel every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. When Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise! For the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. <clears throat> so originally, Gideon had 32,000 men. We're told in Judges 8, just a chapter later in Judges 8, verse 10, that the Midianite army was 135,000. It was compared to locusts. 135,000 men. And 30, Gideon had 32 to go against him. The odds are a little worse than uh, 4 to 1. So that, if I were in Gideon's shoes, that wouldn't look real great to me. 4 to 1, that's a pretty big gap. After the 22,000 went home, the odds were 13 to 1. And after another 9,700 went home, and he's left with 300 men, now the odds are 450 men to one. Now it's impossible, humanly speaking. Now it's going to be clear who wins the battle, that it's God. That's less than 1% of the original army. Interesting word in verse 8 of chapter 7. When he sent away the rest of the, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. That word retained, he, it implies detaining a man against his will. 
If you would have been one of those 300 men, would you have wanted to stay? I can't say that I would. In Exodus, the same word is used in Exodus chapter 9 and verse 2 when Pharaoh forcibly held his Hebrew slaves. So that's, that's the army Gideon has left. Did Gideon have reason to be afraid? He did. There was good reason to be afraid. In Judges 8, 18 and 19, we're told that Gideon's brothers had been killed earlier by the Midianites. This isn't his first time facing them. His brothers were killed by them. Now he's facing these crazy odds of 450 to 1. And God says to attack that night. You know, God knew how Gideon felt. God knew what Gideon was facing. And so in verse 10, he says, If you are still afraid, go down to the camp and I'll... You'll be reassured. Your, your hand will be strengthened against them if you go. What are the odds that in a crowd that's described as numerous as locusts, that Gideon would overhear a conversation where a man's telling about his dream and he interprets it as, this can be nothing else but Gideon. What are the odds that Gideon will hear that? Clearly, it's an act of God. God working it out comfort Gideon. And Gideon recognizes it, it as such, and he worships. He prostrates himself before God. The last part of Judges chapter 7, <clears throat> God gives Gideon's army victory. You know the story. Gideon divides the men into three companies, 100 men each, in each group, gives each man a trumpet, an empty pitcher, and a torch inside the pitcher, and they completely surround the enemy camp. They're on the hills around them, and at Gideon's signal, they, they blow the trumpets, break the pitcher, and shout, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Talk about psychological warfare. Imagine the, the smashing pitchers, the light, the shouting, and then the trumpets blowing. I doubt whether they blew the trumpets once and stopped. Probably kept on. Usually only the leaders in the army had trumpets and used those to signal. And so 300 trumpets would typically represent a huge army. And so you can imagine what goes through the minds of the Midianites and their, their allies. Read uh, verse 21 of chapter 7 and 22. So they, they cried, the, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, and every man, this is the Israelite army, every man stood in his place all around the camp. They're standing still. And the whole army below them ran and cried out and fled. When the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. And they're fleeing, and as they're fleeing, they're killing each other. And these men stand still, at least for a time, and then they, they follow them and, and call for, for reinforcements. <clears throat> I'm not going to go 
beyond that in Gideon's life today, I'd like to just, in summary, a couple things that, that stand out to me in, in looking at, um, at Gideon this week. One thing that stands out to me is when sinners, you, we talked about the cycle Israel was in. They would follow the Lord and then just veer off, turn away from him and start following other gods. They would disobey, then cry out for help. And God would respond to these people that repeatedly walked away from him. Do you ever make the same mistake more than once? I do. I find myself coming back again. I'm grateful that God responds to sinners who cry out to him. He hears, and not only hears, but responds in mercy. I'm grateful that God is patient when I obey and ask him to confirm his direction. You know, Gideon had to choose to focus on who was with him instead of the size of the task in front of him. Does God ask you to do anything that's too much for you to handle? If he hasn't yet, he probably will. I think it's safe to say it always, it requires a step of faith to obey God. Gideon chose to focus on who was with him instead of the task in front of him. I ask you this morning, what is it that causes fear for you? What is it that causes fear in you? God's answer to my fears is I will be with you. God gives himself. I will be with you. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Oh God, we come to you grateful that you hear when people cry out to you. Lord, when we fail you, We turn back and cry out to you. Thank you that you hear and respond and you forgive. Lord, thank you that you are patient with our weaknesses, with our fears, the things that we face. Lord, may we bring those things to you and then see you because you are so much greater than anything we can possibly fear. Lord, may we fear displeasing you more than anything else that, we, that is surrounding us. The things that look big to us are small to you. Lord, may we rest this week in the fact, may we be aware that you are with us and walk in the light of that. That's how we will honor you this week. Thank you for each one here. 
ask that you would just bless this message to each of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.